Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Okay, so I won't timestamp this conversation with you, the audience, and let you know the day that we are recording this interview. But what I will tell you is, I think it's a good time to go and take a trip around the world. So let's learn about impact, uh, the modern NGO and JA Worldwide. We're going to be spending time today with Caroline Jenner. She's the COO of JA Worldwide. Uh, what I love about her background, and we'll get into it, is she began her career as an entrepreneur and joined JA as a volunteer in Slovakia in the 90s. She worked to establish JA operations in eight Eastern European countries after the Berlin Wall came down and eventually led the founding of JA Europe in 2002. She's passionate about the impact entrepreneurship education can have on young people. And during her 17 years as CEO at JA Europe, she and her team launched several innovative initiatives, such as the Entrepreneurial Skills Pass, a micro-credential for teenagers, the EE Hub, a policy platform, the Innovation Cluster for Entrepreneurship Education, and the Entrepreneurial School Awards. In 2014, she received the Leonardo Award for Crossing Borders and was given the Soria Salty Award by JA Worldwide in 2017 for her achievements in Europe. I could go on and on and on. Uh, you also have an honorary doctorate uh, from your alma mater, the University of Alberta in Canada, and you're a dual citizen of Canada and Belgium, and you're based in Brussels, correct? I'm not based in Brussels anymore. I'm now in Norway. Oh, you're in Norway. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, that's a recent move, so haven't updated that information. <laughs> uh, Caroline, it's wonderful to to spend some time with you. I love that you started in the '90s as a volunteer. Um, it feels rare to hear of someone in today's day and age that has started somewhere at that age and continued to matriculate throughout the system. Uh, and yet, you are incredibly passionate about entrepreneurialism um, and young people. So, talk a little bit about what it was like in the '90s for you when you decided to volunteer and what was it about that decision-making process that kind of kicked that experience off for you? Well, I mean, I think I would say that at that time I was very young and I have, you know, I had a the, the blessed life of being born in Canada and raised there. And I had this opportunity to travel over to Europe and I was thinking I would do the normal thing where you explore and discover the world and then I would go back home uh, to Canada and carry on with my life. But what had just happened was one of the biggest things that has happened in uh, you know recent history. The wall came down and everyone, all the people who were my age that I met were on their way east to see what was going on there and to discover the world that had just opened up. And many, many, I mean, truly, they were young people. And I, I, I joined them. And I felt this drive to be part of uh, what was going on there. I have no, um, uh, let's say, Central European background at all. But I felt the opportunity. And I thought that I had nothing. I didn't have, you know, anything, any tools in my hand. I didn't speak the language. But I could see the things that could be done there. And uh, I wanted to help um, anyone I possibly could. And that was the that was how it got started. I volunteered there to help in the schools and to help with the local organization, which at the time I didn't realize was junior achievement because they um, were using a different name in the local language. But I really liked what they were doing. And I said, I'm happy to help any way I can. And I think when you're 
when you're born and raised in a market economy like I had been, uh, some of the things were just automatic for me, but it wasn't for them. So it was easier for me to get involved because I said, well, that's what we do now. And then we do this and then we do that. And it just happened very naturally. And I love teaching. I always thought I would become a teacher. And this was the next best thing. And it feels like you embody the the mentality, and I'll just speak from the American perspective, though I've done a great bit of travel myself, um, sort of that American spirit of a teenager or a, let's say a college student that wants purpose, right? They That's the yeah. number one. It's not necessarily maybe the prestige or the income that they might generate, but they want to have purpose. Do you get a sense in reflecting back that you were ahead of your time? Because I'm, we're probably a very similar age and it makes me think yeah. back to, you know, I don't recall the word entrepreneur growing up. You know, I grew up in the Detroit area and a lot of, especially for the boys would think about doing what their fathers did, which was work yeah. for a supplier of the automotive industry. Yeah. There was yeah. not this concept of this independent agency and purpose coming together. I think I would agree with that, that I didn't see it as that at the time. But looking back, I was very much in search of something that would be different from what I was seeing all of my peers doing uh, at home in Canada. I could see the pathway in front of all of us. I could see that, you know, some would do this, some would do that, and some would do something else. But it was fairly predictable. And I wanted to find something that I could sink my teeth into, but that would be different to help me define myself, I think. And, you know, I have shaped that along the way, but I only got to it now when I look back and say, oh, yeah, that was kind of cool. That pathway ended up being really, really amazing. What makes an NGO a modern NGO in your estimation? I think a modern NGO is one that is able to be um, nimble, flexible, adaptable, to move with the times, but stay in touch with its core all the way. Um, so it may it may adapt itself, as I saw, to the reality of the new Europe, um, but it also has had to do the same in Africa, and that looks completely different and feels completely different, but it's still JA. So I think that's what's really important is an organization that can mold itself to an ever-evolving context. That means it has a very meaningful um, mission and vision. And I've always been attracted to that. If it if it had been a sort of fly-by-night mission, I don't think it would have, have uh, meant as much as witnessing the meaningfulness of it as I have. Talk about the sustainability goals and how that provides a sort of a real track, if you will, uh, or path for those involved with JA Worldwide? Because I see that and I would imagine that a young person is going to gravitate immediately because they understand what that means. It translates in almost every language uh, and has impact across the globe. Yeah, I think the SDGs have meant have been a huge um, you know, foundation for us to build on. We've been able to communicate what we do uh, around those goals, um, young young women, girls, for example, um, the STEM skills, the employability, um, the environment. Um, there's a few of them that we we really lean into, and others we get to indirectly. But I think what help what has been our um, 
our focus when it comes to the SDGs is that able to bring young people to the SDGs through what we do, which otherwise might be a very theoretical framework for them. But suddenly they realize, wow, we're actually doing something that is relevant for this big global goal. And young people are very passionate about um, anything that has meaning on, on that level, but they just don't realize always that what they are doing is impacting a big picture. Caroline, can you talk a little bit about the difference in uh, in young people and maybe their their thought processes, the way in which they think, the lens that they look through? I've spent a lot of time in the Nordics just recently, late last year, and the con the yeah. conversation around sustainability permeates society. You can yeah. be having coffee with a teacher or sitting down with an investor. It doesn't matter what you're doing; it seems to come up. It's a part of it. Whereas here in the in the states, that's not a discussion that happens unless it's you know, in the news or there's like, you're actually at an event where they're talking about it. Um, and I'm wondering how that is experienced through young people that are participating in JA, because I had the personal feeling when I was in the Nordics a number of times last year that I felt behind. I felt behind in my, my knowledge, my understanding of what was actively going on, what was basically you know, I more ethereal or, or actually based in reality. Um, talk a little bit about maybe the how you are seeing young people and the way in which they're thinking about the STGs and applying that through JA. And do we see differences across the globe? I think for sure we do see differences across the globe only because climate change and sustainability issues are impacting young people differently depending on where they are. Mm. Um, so you might see that the, uh, the African youth are very focused on on waste and plastic problems and all of that, all of that they see everywhere. But what you might um, notice up in um, uh, the Nordic countries, they are very concerned with um, how the environment is being treated in terms of resources, um, oil and gas. Are we diversifying? Are we finding other ways to manage our economy? How are we going to uphold our our um, quality of life if we don't manage this better. So it's all about how the collective can get together, whereas it's a bit more activist approach in um, in the African continent. Uh, then you see um, in Asia, you might have more of the concern that might be more similar to what you see in the in the United States, which is that people are very, very busy about trying to trying to make money, being very enterprising. Um, and the, the huge populations that they're dealing with, almost the problems are, of the environment are so huge there that the individual may not feel that they can impact it um, in any way, affect any change. So I think there's that frustration and that 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 challenge of, well, if I can't do anything about it, I'm just going to focus on my own stuff. I'm going to do my own thing. Whereas in the in many European countries, people are getting together and trying to effect political change to respond to the environment. Um, and so that's where you see differences, where they play out their political activism tends to be in the area of climate change rather than other areas. I'm glad you brought up activism. I'm just curious as to how JA threads the needle, as we might say, mm -hmm. uh, in a very divisive and political world. Um, is it harder these days as an NGO? Is it easier? Do you find you, you get pulled in that there's a bit of a, a, a magnetism, in, you know, in a negative way where you have to find yourself 
stating a position, uh, understanding the geopolitical space in a way and a, at a depth that you haven't in the past because we are so connected as a world? I think actually we have we have always been in that uh, Bermuda Triangle maybe or that that <laughs> zone in between the the government and policymakers and the business community uh, and the education community. We've always sat right in the middle between those three, and. That, I think, has given us a very safe space to operate because if one is pushing us one direction and saying, you have to say this about something, and we're saying, well, no, actually, we have stakeholders here and here where we, we would never be willing to sacrifice those stakeholders in order to take that kind of position. So we've always been in, a, in an apolitical safe space. And because what we teach is related to skill sets and mindsets and equipping young people for the future, that also gives us something to lean on, that protects us a little bit from the firing line there. So I actually feel that's not our big problem. Sometimes maybe the, the um, for example, we were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize and we were very proud of that, but finding language to make that connection between peace and what we teach that you know that's a very important thing to try to express and that's what the young people are are saying well of course you know we we are we are all trading with each other and we're all building businesses together that is going to lead us to much more peace than than anything else well, t talk a little bit about the young person that joins ja how have they changed over time are they are they more active? Are they more discerning as sort of customers of maybe the NGO space and where they want to apply their time, resource, and passions? I think that they, you know, we have a, a hugely committed uh, alumni community, and I'm I meet a lot of them and talk to a lot of them. And what they all seem to say is that they got this spark of of engagement and motivation, intrinsic motivation, this sort of, wow, I can really make a difference moment um, at some point when they first met JA and they first had that experience. And then they've stuck with it and continued. It's almost like they caught a bug and they just keep wanting to try to have similar experiences like that, not necessarily with JA, but in other places, they want the community they want the, you know, they they want the engagement. They want an exciting project. They want something that's meaningful. And they choose their employers. They choose their partners. They choose their um, uh, their opportunities according to that feeling that they got way back then. They they say that in many different ways, but they express that. And I think that's really important when you reach out to young people at such a young age you can have that long-term impact and it kind of swims through the ocean in different ways. But I, I feel that, that's the, that it does impact the choices that they make in, in a lot of positive and creative ways, not just in economically impactful ways. Yeah, that that equates to me. It's you know we, we'll talk about if you go to Africa, you, you get the African fever, and and I've gone yes. and I'm going a second time already the, this year uh, coming up. And you you can't. It's like you can't. It's like returning a car at the airport. You can't back up, or you're going to pop your tires. Once you've had one of those experiences, it yes. does change your outlook. Do you find that 
now that you've been in leadership for a number of years that you've had to search for different sort of doors to open to continue to feel that initial kind of uh, passion or that spark that you had early on in the 90s? Yes, for sure. I think when you've been a, a, a builder, uh, when you've had the opportunity to build something from scratch, um, you constantly want to get back to that foundational roll up your sleeves kind of moment. And I really like that when I, I meet a new organization with which we can partner or um, uh, going to a country where we, we, which is new for us and just getting started and helping them really start to put the pieces together and find the partners that they need and make a plan. Or um, even working with um, some young people who may want to create, you know, they may want to create an event or they want to create an opportunity and they want to talk to you about how to do it. So all of that, I can get my thrill from that. Because uh, that's that builder thing. That's that building muscle. W would you have ever envisioned that from the 90s till now that you'd still be involved with JA? And no, how no. do you categorize yourself, <laughs> Caroline? Do you feel that you are an entrepreneur within an NGO? Yeah. I, well, there is a fancy term that for intrapreneur, they call that yeah. in European <laughs> speak, right? And I guess I'm one of those. Um, but I also, um, I also think that to, to help an organization make that trip um, around the world through, through a certain period of time in history, which I, I experienced, and to see the beginning and the middle of, and the end of that, or at least you know, a, a certain chunk of it, I think that's a very privileged um, thing to experience. And so I do feel very lucky that I've been able to be part of the organization and so involved in so many pieces of it over this time. So it doesn't feel like I've been doing the same thing all this time. It feels like I've been living something I never thought that I would. So many NGOs would, I think, be very um, envious of the history of JA, the length of time. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to the, what I would call, um, or, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of this internal sense of responsibility as an NGO that one, to maintain relevance, uh, two, to keep things current and fresh and on the cutting edge, and also to be a leader for those early sort of stage NGOs that are trying to, because I feel like we're in an era where there are so many young people that are trying to start things up within their countries to advance progress, equality, uh, and access uh, to resource that that has to have some level of responsibility or pressure, I would think, for those that have been around for as long as JA has. Is that something that's discussed? How do you maintain sort of the origins of it while also feeling new and updated for the next generation and the generation after? Yeah, it's it's something we discuss a lot. Um, and I think it's it's a very healthy, good discussion uh, to think creatively about all the different ways you can you can adjust and you can uh, be responsive to the environments that you're in and how they are changing. And I think one of the things that is is really important for an organization like ours is the transition from from you know and a world that wasn't very digital to one that is, uh, or a, a world where you had, um, you know, you were working with a lot, you're working outside the system a lot, 
in the old days and you were just always banging on the door and saying here we are here we are and now being much more embedded and in, in connected with with education systems and educators and how do you stay cool you know how do you stay fresh um, when you are part of that gray zone you could say systemic zone um, in many countries um, and I think the third thing is um, um, if you want to speed up you know, you don't want to, nothing wants to stay slow and, and big. You want to speed up and you want to grow. Um, and the way that we believe that we should do that is through partnership, through collaboration and be be much, be the best people with which you can partner in a community, not be the only show in town. Um, and I think that's a very important um, approach to take because we have it's a so delicate much balance, isn't it, Caroline? A delicate balance, yeah. especially when you're over 100 years old, that the perception yeah. might just be that you kind of come in heavy handed. But you you're being very mindful as an organization that that can't be the experience, cannot be the experience. And we have so much to learn from those startups that young people are setting up and they're doing a lot of it digitally and they're finding ways through um uh through the, the the mass of being able to do so much with young people and appeal to them in a you know the user experience is something that the new generation really understands well we can hop on board with that that's something we can learn from they can take advantage of our ecosystem and our network to help them build their organization so i see it should be win 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 all the way around um, and it helps keep us young where do where do young people want to contribute? Are we finding hot zones of interest around the world more than than other places or locations? Um, yes, for sure. Uh, we have um, you know huge growth in Latin America, Africa's uh, growing really fast. We have huge pieces of Europe, um, Central and Eastern Europe, where I mentioned earlier. Um, that's where you see huge growth. Um, uh, but I think it's it's also that they're they're bringing that interest in content that I think is what helps the the process become even more relevant. That they are coming in with interest in ESG, they're interested in AI, they want to know about you know and climate change per se. Green entrepreneurship is very is very important to them. So they're helping bring information and focus into into curricula that we didn't have before. So in a way you're responding in real time to content that's very relevant for youth population and you have to do it quickly because you can't afford to wait 10 years, there's an entire generation. And you they'll, they'll cycle them. through, won't they? I mean, what's the average, I guess, commitment that a person makes to JA, a young person that's wanting to volunteer or participate in programs? Tends to be about a year. A year. Yeah. And then uh, many of them stay on and do other things. But at the minimum, it's approximately a year. It feels like this may sound very overinflated, but maybe it's it's the optimist, the optimist in me. But, you know, <laughs> people will say we already are at a world war when we think about digital kind of what's going on outside of what we would have uh, described as traditional warfare. But it feels like on yeah. the other side of that, the underside of the belly would be the young people that get these experiences around the globe. And the positive impact or the residual of that is it combats propaganda. It combats sort of just generalizations around people, society and, and cultures so that, you, you know, it's like 
I, gosh, count. I mean, we probably would have a number of stories in this way uh, on our travels, but it's like I went to the Middle East or last year, right? And I had people here locally wondering what. <laughs> Why would I go to that region? And have the most beautiful people, you know, just wonderful yeah. experiences. And you think, yes. where is information? And sometimes I feel like we just have to kind of be on the ground to capture information and an understanding of culture and practice to debunk things that just aren't good for the progress of our civilization. And it feels like those like a JA Worldwide play a, a pivotal, critical role in that because you are actively laying sort of the train tracks for young people to be able to travel and understand and contribute. Yes. Um, in fact, you know, the pandemic taught us that truth um, that you just said, taught us that big time because we we had to ask our young people to engage with us digitally. We had no choice. And the first thing that they wanted to do after that period of time was over, they said, we want to get back together. We want to get back to the opportunities where we can meet each other and talk to each other about stuff because they were feeling the vacuum. They were feeling that myopia that you get when you're only looking at one channel or you're only talking to one brand of human being, if I can put it that way, or you're, you're only dealing with one community. It's never enough. If you ever want to do an interesting project, you'll never, ever be able to make it succeed without talking to a lot of different people. And I think that is the key, that it takes some of that noise out of the universe when they just get down to brass tacks and say, well, I actually, this is what I need from you. And this is, you know, the perspective I need from you. And that that is what enables them to be successful, I think, and stop them from from um, spending too much time on, on all that. I would say it's not an empty space, but it's a space that doesn't necessarily deliver on that uh, mindset that you want, which is a much more positive and, and caring one. Yeah, that empty space lacks substance. And yes. it's something you just can't quantify when you're thinking about what it's like to be in a given space and share that experience with another individual family or entity. Uh, I want to yeah. make sure people can learn more about GA Worldwide. You can just go to jaworldwide.org, learn about it, uh, see all of the wonderful work that they're doing. We want to thank Caroline Jenner, the COO of GA Worldwide. And hopefully our paths will cross maybe at an airport <laughs> across the globe. Keep up the <laughs> wonderful work. <laughs> and we wish you the best. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.